I am thrilled. This 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 episode is really exciting to get a chance to get Jason McCoy uh, on the podcast. I'm so excited. Uh, known Jason for years, and and big congratulations by the way on the recent certification of a platinum record with Mud uh, with the Road Hammers project. Um, after all these years, are you just shocked and amazed that the industry still embraces you the way it does and you guys still get all the love you do from the fans? I mean, it must be pretty incredible. Yeah, you know, it's interesting with, um, like, personally, I'm still, you know, a 10-year-old kid with a guitar in a bedroom trying to figure out George Jones songs, right? Like, I I always feel like the grown-ups are going to show up anytime and say, you know, get get them, give me that guitar back and what do you think you're doing, right? Um, but with the Hammers, it's a, it's a whole different thing. It's kind of like a there's a fearlessness to it because you're in a gang, right? You're not by yourself. So people say, you know, what do you like better playing in a solo band or, or, you know, with a band or a solo group or with a band. And it's, it's got its pluses and minuses. Like one, you make all the decisions and one you don't, and they're both great. Uh, with the hammers, getting all the industry love that we still do is amazing. Um, but that, that comes from the fact that, uh, you know, there's so much talent within the band and I'm just a small part of that. Um, if you take any one of us away, it's not the hammers anymore. Um, but we don't put out like a, we don't even put out a ton of records. I think we put out like five records and I think, I think, I think four, um, uh, and maybe a four. A, yeah, four. Yeah. I'm, I think it's more of an underachiever than I thought, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it's last record was 2017. Are you guys going to drop a new one or what's the plan there? If I get off my butt and get my singing done. Yeah. Actually, Chris and Clay have been really uh, great in pushing things along. Um, I've got a few vocals I got to do and we're, we're doing really good for um, like two or three songs we've got in the can that are really, you know, they're that hammer thing. Right. And it's interesting because as the more the music industry changes, it's nice that the hammers have their own niche and we have our own sound and it, it can't be affected by other genres or can't be by affected by trends, but it happens. Right. Cause you go chasing things like, Oh, this is popular on radio. Maybe we should do this and all that. But if we just ignore that for a little bit, um, we can get our thing together. But it takes a while to find those those little pebbles in the in the pile of rock, right? Um, but I think we've got three that uh, are really on that hammer head. Pardon the pun. Right, right, and that's really all you need. And you guys have have really pushed the envelope at what was success. Or, sorry, what what was sort of more acceptable in terms of country rock fusion at Canadian radio, because for a yeah. long time, everybody was really playing the game. And now if you listen to a guy like Corey Marks, I don't know if you've listened to the record who He's I am, but it's really, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not exactly the same as a hammers record by any means, but it's, uh, it's in that same vein. And you guys really laid the groundwork for something like that to get some acceptance and love and, and, and respect not only from the industry, but from the fans um, I mean, your 2005 effort, the first uh, self-titled record was just so bold in that direction, but also so successful. So how, how did you come up with the idea? You know, you've been this successful male country artist for a long time. You're crushing it in, uh, in the solo space. You're winning male artists of the year at the CCMAs. And then all of a sudden you're like, nah, I want to try this alter ego thing and I want to go rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, you know, to be quite candid, um, not to dive too deep, but it all came from insecurity and depression. <laughs> I mean, I always, I've always had this, uh, this nagging, you know, not good enough, don't belong, don't fit in kind of thing, which we all have to fight and that has to be put aside. But sometimes I let that flood over and 
I was coming off Sins, Lies, and Angels, and, and a, uh, my second CCMA Male Artist of the Year win. So why wouldn't anybody be on a high and have all the confidence in the world? I don't know. But I was really, uh, really empty inside. Like, I didn't know what to do. I felt like I didn't really have an idea where to go with another record. I didn't know um, what the industry was doing. There was a bit of a musical divide there at the time. Shania was really taken off on the pop side. There was still that George Strait thing, you know, it was that that typical thing of country. It's really country. It's really pop. And country is nice that it has uh, wide enough arms to accept all those genres. But right up the middle of that, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't have anything in me. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I was talking to Ted Ellis, who was running CMT at the time, and Ted was the fifth Beatle on this whole project. Um, and I said, you know, maybe I just should do like a, uh, a tribute record of like, you know, I don't know, trucker songs, because I was listening to all these old Dave Dudley things at the time. And I remember this vinyl LP I was really digging from when I was a kid that I'd found. And I said, maybe I'll put together like a traveling Wilburys, like a, you know, a bunch of famous musicians, you know. And he said, oh, well, this is during the time of um, uh, reality shows. And he said, well, maybe uh, maybe we'll film that and show you making the making up. And that turned into, hey, let's put a band together and have auditions. And it just exploded from there. And it 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 was like a river running, like in a deluge of rain where it just goes over the banks and goes where it's supposed to go. And I had absolutely no control. And that was the best thing for my psyche was was being out of control. Because when I was, I didn't have the chance to second guess everything to death, which I'm, you know, fairly prone to do. And we just ran with it. And Scott Baggett, my longtime producer on the solo side, um, you know, it was kind of one of those things where I'd always been wanting to be Randy Travis. Uh, but I always had this rock and roll kind of side, too. But I could never sing it because I got this country voice, you know. And along comes Clay. And Chris is the blues guy. And you put the three together and it's like, we can do anything we want. So add in a little NRBQ, Big Al Anderson, some wacky blues stuff and some bluegrass and you got the hammers. And it was kind of everything Scott had wanted to do sonically as a producer and everything I wanted to try that I never knew I could be part of. And it just worked. Yeah, it was so bold at the time. And, and I think you're being a little bit hard on yourself, though, creatively, because you know, you you had the ability to diversify within the format. And, and we really saw that with uh, Honky Tonk Sonatas. And what was that, 2001? When yeah. you dropped that record, that's a record that could have come right out of Bakersfield, California at the time. And I knew that that's, at the time, that's where your mind was creatively. That's where your heart was. That's what felt right to you. But that record stands the test of time. I had to listen to it recently. And it's just like, wow. it's such a great record, you know, and and. And you, I think you, you definitely like, you've had these ideas about what you wanted to chase, but over and above that, you've also allowed yourself to take some real creative risks at times. And, um, and that certainly was one of those projects. So what was in your, what was in your head at that time that was pushing you in that direction? Uh, I had done, well, Dixieland and all these, you know, the singles that, you know, and I'd always worked with Scott Baggett and still do with the hammers and all that. But I, I decided I wanted to just try a couple of different things. And I, my, my oldest friend in Nashville is Odie Blackman. And he, he's a very well respected and successful songwriter uh, now. But at the time, he, you know, I was kind of staying on his sofa when I was down there and he was eating ramen noodles and the typical Nashville story. And we had the similar, you know, Buck Owens 
uh, you know, vein in, in our, in our, in our DNA. And so we would write a lot of these really honky tonk songs that at the time, just, they're not going to get cut, you know, but we just love them. And, um, Gary Allen was just starting to break and he was friends with Gary from early on, wrote a bunch of songs for him, like nothing on, but the radio and stuff. And, um, I said, well, you know, we, we go in and we write a song and then Odie would produce the demo or I, we would together. And I said, why don't we just produce a record? So let's kind of make it really kind of left and let's make it, uh, you know, Jim Lauderdale kind of thing, like Honky Tonk Sonatas, which Jim yes. wrote. And then uh, Gary, you know, came on and, and did the duet. And I actually toured with Gary a bit as a guitar player, just kind of sitting back on stage. And uh, Just we, for the audience, I just want to clarify, Gary Allen, the Gary, Gary Allen. Allen. yeah. Yes. So, uh, you know, we'd go out and we were playing at um, Buck Owens uh, Club in, in uh, Bakersfield, you know. And I was there the night. This is really cool because I was there the night that uh, – I didn't meet Buck that night because Gary got to go upstairs and hang with Buck, right? And we were all on the bus. And um, it was quite a while. I think they maybe got into drinking or something. But um, Buck loved Gary because Gary always really flew the Bakersfield banner high, you know. And um, Buck gave him that night, he gave him one of those red, white, and blue guitars. But not one of the mass-produced knockoffs that everybody had. He gave him one of the original copies. And I don't know who made it, like Harmony or something. I can't remember. But he gave him one of the original guitars, like in the original shipping box from the 50s. And it was it was mind boggling. It's sitting there on the bus and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So um, there was something to that whole Bakersfield sound. And I loved Merle Haggard. I loved Buck Owens. And I loved uh, uh, guys later like, um, oh, well, even up to the Dwight Yoakam stuff, you know, guys who drew. Yeah, Dwight Yoakam, George Dukas, George uh, Dukas. you know, obviously Gary Allen. Uh, yep. You know, these days you're getting a little bit of that from John Party, some neo-traditional and a little bit of Bakersfield yep. sound. And I wrote uh, one of my favorite singles, uh, Still, which uh, Colin Linden in Canada produced. I wrote that with George Dukas. So I, was, I went in and I sat with George and I was like, I want to write something that that sounds timeless and be like a Dwight kind of thing that Pete Anderson would produce, you know? Yes. And so, and it was a, it was a focused thing. and. That that Bakersfield sound is one of those things. It's like, you know, how Norm McDonald sounds really dumb, but he's the smartest guy in the room. Right. <laughs> and and that's what that's what Bakersfield country is. Like when you listen to Buck and Don Rich and they're doing that stuff, it sounds like a bunch of hillbillies playing three chord country songs. But to do it right, take such a sophistication of writing uh, and, and musicianship and delivery that, you know, metal guys blues guys they listen to it and they're like holy smokes that's that's something and that's what that bakersfield sound is it's it's an eloquence within country that just has a timelessness to it that is a great word an eloquence and i think that that applies across all genres i mean that that's why you can find people from the metal world who dig certain aspects of country music because they they respect and understand the musicianship. They understand the craft of the songwriting that goes into it. And that's yeah. where, you know, when we talk about art, it's ability to, to erase borders and, uh, and remind us of our, of our similarities and, and sort of take away some of our differences and create some real unity. And, you know, I always joke that politics, politicians like to tell us that they're all about unity, but all they do is remind us of our differences and pit us against one another for the most part. And, yeah. uh, and musicians, they, they take those things away and they remind us that we can be united around a great beat, a great melody um, and, and respect for the music, no matter what genre it falls into, if it takes a certain amount of mastery, there's just, you know, like I'm not a jazz guy, but if I sit back and, 
listen to a jazz record, I can appreciate it. I can understand it. I can respect it. Right. And I'm sure you have that too, as it, as it comes to other formats of music. Well, like Merle Haggard always had Roy Nichols on guitar and, and right. uh, all those guys who, who skirted the jazz world. So if they, if, you know, my dad loved Merle Haggard, but he had no idea that these guitar players were playing jazz runs, you know, uh, you know, and all that stuff where Haggard got into the eighties like that. That's all jazzy stuff. And that like, it comes off as country and there's that thing of like, they're taking this, the sophistication it's like having a fighter jet parked in your driveway but you only fire it up when you really have to right yeah and uh, and they've got all the all the horsepower they could ever want but they're only going to do what they need to to really complement the song it's not a bunch of weedly deedly stuff right right but but anyway i i uh that's just me riffing on jazz i like i like all that stuff and one thing that i really find interesting about you is, is especially in the last few years you've been very open very transparent about your difficulties with mental health Mm -hmm. But in some ways, and I, and I know this from having personal conversations with you, uh, that neuroticism, whatever you want to call it, has also pushed you to be a genius creatively. You know, you, you talk a little bit about feeling like you didn't belong and then driving the Roadhammers project out of that. I mean, how much of that dichotomy of wrestling with uh, feeling like you don't belong, uh, depression, has actually driven you to be a better artist? Uh, at the expense of my family and, uh, you know, personal happiness, probably uh, 99% of it. Um, it's, it's amazing that, you know, it, it's like you come off this explosive creative, uh, moment, you know, and it's just a short little bit and then, and then you stay in bed for a year. You know, it's, it's really, like, why, why would anybody isn't do when that? You're creating, isn't that when you're at your best? Like, isn't that, isn't that when you feel like you're alive and on fire or, or are you too worried about what the marketplace is going to judge it as? Like, like how are you navigating yeah. that process internally as you're going through it? It's been changing. And actually it's, um, you know, as you get a little older and you get a little more miles on you and now I'm doing radio, which gives me a, uh, uh, you know, a, an actual schedule. Um, all that helps with the mental stability where you're kind of like, you know, uh, life is great. Like actually, you know, having time off during the pandemic, it seems like everybody'd be sad. We're not touring, which I am. I like touring, but at the same time, I feel really relieved because, you know, my son and I'll start a project on a Sunday. We won't get to it all that night. And then we'll put it aside and say, we'll come back to it on Saturday at the end of the week, or we'll do it in the evenings. You know, dad doesn't have to do anything feverishly in three days because he's gone for two weeks. Like right. it's a normal life. And who knew that, you know, taking off and going out in the boat for a day on Saturday is like, that's real living. Uh, heading off to an airport, you know, eating at a Tim Hortons and then seeing a Ramada hotel for the afternoon, doing a gig and off to the airport. That's not real life. And it's, it's something you have to be very aware of. So, um, but as far as the creative stuff goes, um, I've been there. Uh, let me back up a little bit and not to get too, too, uh, you know, deep about this stuff, but I've had back issues since I was like, 17 16 years old i got hurt at work when i was quite young and i mean i've not been out of pain for years and years and i've been getting these um i've been getting my back worked on and, and just had a surgery as well to help kind of figure things out a little more and it's really been helping and so that has been a big you know it's been a pain in my back and that's really helped me uh kind of calm down a little bit and help me sleep and help me get into better physical shape um which, you know, when you have back pain or any kind of pain, and I I don't really have real pain con 
compared to maybe other people, but it's, I find it to be quite a bit. But now that I've started to come out of that, man, I've been getting in better shape, going for walks, going for a jog, eating well, actually sleeping, which I haven't done for years. And my creative side is just exploding. So it's like everything, you know, that you've ever heard from your parents, you know, eat well, get good sleep, take care of yourself. Now that I'm starting to get better health, those kind of things are, are helping. And now my creative side is, is just exploding and I feel, I feel better than ever. Yeah. Who was it that said uh, a healthy man has a thousand wishes and a sick man only has one? You know, I mean, that, that's that's incredibly poignant, you know, when, it, at times like this, when yeah. you realize, like, if you don't have your health and you're not taking care of the temple, like, yeah. you know, you can't really have anything. Mm-hmm. And and so it's great to see that you're back on track on that front. You're looking great, by the way. You've yeah, lost yeah, some weight. Track. I mean, yeah. I'm not, you know, cramming down a whole pile of painkillers to sleep and, you know, wake up and all that. And that's that stuff will kill you, man. But um, literally, yeah, literally. But yeah. uh, no, it's, it's, things are going pretty good. Good. So you're in a good creative space now. What's next for, for you? Are you going to put out another solo record? You talked about the Hammers Project. Like what, in the, what is in the immediate future for Jason McCoy? Uh, well, I do, I do radio with Pure Country 106. So that's the, the daily thing. And I'm so happy for that because I'm, I guess, the only musician with an actual job right now, um, which is wonderful. But um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of inspiring too. So I've been writing a lot because, you know, hear all these songs go by and you're up with the trends and all that. And it, it's inspired me to write. So I've got a bunch of solo stuff kind of ready to go. I just have to, you know, get some singing done on it, a few guitar parts. Uh, there's the, the hammer songs, as I mentioned, but right now the focus is the hammers. I mean, the guys are chomping at the bit to get going. We're hoping that next year we can see a return to touring, uh, which is what we do best. And, uh, you know, just, you know, ripping it up on the stage. And the nucleus of the Hammers, obviously, is you, uh, Clayton Bellamy, Chris Byrne. But how did you select those guys, or how did how did you guys come together and form in formation to create this thing? Yeah, well, Chris was in my solo band playing bass, right? And uh, then we were doing the TV show, we're holding auditions, and Chris was pretty much a shoe, and I just knew he'd be the guy. Um, there's no character. Oh my God, he's the best. And um, and then Clay, I mean, I had seen Clay play at the Calgary Stampede once we were playing one of those big tent things, you know, and he was at the other stage and I went to see him one light, night and I'd heard about him. And uh, and it was like, oh man, he's really got that kind of rock and roll country edge thing, you know? And then as we were doing auditions for the show or getting ready to, I was I had a bust out in Calgary for some reason. We went down to 17th and Clay was playing a bar there. And... I took my wife down to say, oh, this is Clay. This is a guy I think is going to be in the band. And we walk in and he's got no shirt on. He's got the microphone. And he's crawling across a table full of drinks and smashing them on the ground and stuff. And she's like, no. And I was like, yeah. So it was it was great. And then um, and then uh, Corbett Fraz, who was our original drummer. Right. Um, uh, good friends with Clay because they played in, in bands together, you know, and uh, Corbett was just like, he's, like, I've never met a funnier guy. Like he is so He's he's just got every comeback. It's almost like he's got a Rolodex of comebacks all ready to go, and he's like a computer. Yeah. And he's just got this really sharp wit and a lot of fun to travel with on the road too. So it was a, it was such a fun group to travel with in this uncharted territory that we were taking off on, like pirates on the highway or something. That's so cool. Yeah, and if you follow Corbett on uh, social media, his sense of humor really shines through in that man. That guy. 18 is- plus. 18 plus always doubling me over but yes uh it's not something exactly you're going to read in front of your kids no um 
Another thing about you, and it, it, it parlays very well into this conversation about the career you've had in radio, is uh, you've always been so comfortable in front of an audience, or at least you're able to really portray that. Now, being a kid who grew up, you've been very open about your insecurities. How did you develop such wit, sense of humor, and a, and a level of comfort that you have in front of an audience? Because some of the best ever CCMA gala dinners and or luncheons have been when you hosted those things. Well, it's it's interesting because when I was I mentioned I always wanted to be Randy Travis or that kind of, you know, my dad was into the, you know, the very Opry artists, the Hank Snows and all that, where you come out and you, you're very staunch and you do your thing. Right. Proper. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that was that was the bar for me. Like, that's how a show's done. And then I got into you know, having records on the radio, started playing different venues and I wanted to be all cool. Like these guys who just went on and they were just cool and didn't say much. Right. <clears throat> but it wasn't me. Cause I'd get off stage and then I'd be this card backstage and be in a goofball. And then I go on stage and maybe something like the monitor would squeal or I'd forget a lyric and I'd get mad and I kind of pull these hissy fits, you know, and, and just taking it too seriously. And then a couple of things happened. I saw, we opened up for, uh, John McBride, um, Terry McBride, McBride and the Ride at uh, yep. American Mountain Music Festival. And they were on for an hour and I swear they played three songs and he just talked to the audience and it was off the hook great. And I actually got to write with him later on after that. He was, he had just a, a, a big inspiration for me. And I was like, so that's how you, enter that's how you entertain. And then I was doing a, a tour of dates in these small theaters and something went wrong with like the microphone stand broke or something. And I made a joke of it and everybody laughed and I just went with it. And then all of a sudden it was like a light bulb went on. Like the, the person I was off stage and the person I was on stage were the same person now. And it was like, okay, now it's not work. Now it's fun. And you can take your art seriously. You can take your craft seriously. You can practice and make sure the show's as great as it can be. But if the monitor squeals, it's a monitor squeal. Who cares? Uh, and you make fun of it. If the mic stand breaks, you make fun of it. And, that led to being more comfortable in my skin. It led to better music. It led to all these things. And that ebbs and flows. We all, as artists, and you know, having artists in your roster, they have insecurities about everything. We all do. Of course, yeah. We're all but human that, beings. You're not alone in that, for sure. Well, everybody, yeah. And that's yeah. the thing that, that you have to be reminded of, and we have to remind each other. But the, the thing that I am so thankful for is that I'm not compartmentalized anymore. So you see a lot of people, you know, politicians, there'll be one person over here and one person over there. And I'm just not, you know, and I'm just comfortable in being myself, which is a bit goofy. And then that helps create a better show. Right. And the ability to be comfortable in your own skin uh, substantiates your security with yourself. And uh, and it's something that you can, you know, enjoy on the radio. But we all know as consumers, too, if you've been to a show as a patron and something goes wrong, and the artist handles it well, that can be the most magical, memorable moment of the entire night. It, it's always the way, right? Like, and, and, you know, we talked about, you know, some of the artists on your roster, like Brett Kissel is a great entertainer. He's just got, he's this young guy who he's got the gift of gab. He's got the, all this kind of stuff, but there's not really much that would phase him because he's been doing it for so long. He's still a young guy, but he started so young and, you know, good for him for, He's the same guy off stage as he is on stage, and I can attest to that. Um, and that's that's the height that an artist should attain or you know should aspire to, right? And um, 
And I didn't realize that early on. I thought that I had to be a certain thing, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I still do to a degree, but. I'm glad you mentioned Brett because he's one of those guys who's extremely extroverted. But it doesn't matter if you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him or if he's in front of 20,000 people. He is the same guy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I've, I've never met somebody so effervescent. And, uh, you know, and another thing that he's got is he's got this incredible memory and he'll remember the names of fans and he'll remember the names of their moms and their pets. And it's just like his ability to connect with people through that extroversion is just incredible. Yeah, we're, we're, it's a real uh, gift. We won group of the year a few years back, uh, for the third time. It was amazing. And right in Saskatoon. We, yeah. And then we did a show yeah. and Brett was on the show and he brought like a bottle of champagne and a card and a, Hey man, just thinking of you guys, congratulations, high fives, you know, and this is really before he really, he was ringing the bell, right? Like, you know, and, uh, at, you know, you're just like, is that for real? Like it, is this guy Oprah or something? Like, how does he, but he's the same with anything. If you have a birthday or you got a gold record, he celebrates it the same way. And so, um, and it's neat because there's a lot of the people in this industry who are like that, that maybe don't get celebrated that way too. Like, I mean, you know, the Hunter brothers, they've got that, they've got that, uh, genuine thing to them as well. And it's just, it's really refreshing to see. And it, it's, you know, you try to follow those people, you try to go in that direction and that's, um, they're setting the benchmark really high for everybody else. And that's the way it should be. Yeah. And there's something to be said for, uh, I think the, the level of creativity that you can access when you're comfortable in your own skin, you know, when you don't feel like you have to embrace some sort of persona that isn't you uh, mm -hmm. in order to achieve success, you can just be yourself. And Hunter Brothers exemplify that as well. They've got a, they've got great at that. And, and as you've grown in your career, I mean, I've never seen you any other way than the way you've been since I've known you in over 20 years, which is uh, you're very extroverted, but if you get you one-on-one, -on -one, you can be a bit more introverted of a human being. You're very oh. engaged, yeah. right? But um, you've all you've always been you've always been this guy who's who's comfortable as a songwriter and working solo and creating on your own, and and yet you collaborate very well with others, and that's a real gift because most people in the industry only mm -hmm. have one or the other. Maybe on the surface, it seems I collaborate well with others. I I get in those. Uh, I get in those um, creative battles, you know, where it's like, I not that I get confrontational, but I get in these creative battles where you think it should be one way. And so you're kind of always, what do they call it? Passive aggressively kind of, you know, nattering and trying to get it to change and stuff like that. It's just because I believe in stuff so much, but, but uh, I love collaborating, but I find, I actually find it pretty difficult because my two sisters were older than me. So I kind of grew up almost as an only child. And that's kind of how things are when I'm co-writing. It's like, if I'm the big dog in the room and everybody does as I say, this is going to be a great day. If I got to work at learning something from somebody else, I don't know how this is going to go. But every time I do, and I drop, I drop the uh, ego and stuff. It's amazing. Like when you, I'm learning to collaborate and here I am, you know, I'm over, I'm over 30 years old, Jim, and I'm still learning how to collaborate. Well, I don't want to assume that I understand and can empathize with everything that's going on inside your head, but I would challenge you on that respectfully, because if you look at all the success you've had as a musician, that's all collaboration, right? Yeah. The Road Hammers project, all collaboration. Mm -hmm. And and look yeah. at all the co-writes you've done over the years, including ones for other artists. Yeah. You know, so, so you had to at times swallow your ego or whatever you want to yeah. call it, 
put that aside and put your best foot forward creatively. And you've been able to do that in spades. So I'm sure it doesn't always meet your own personal imaginary expectation, but it's pretty impressive to those of us who are bearing witness to it. Right on. Yeah, it's been fun, man. And the hammers more than anybody because uh, those guys have, um, you know, taught me and continue to do so even through what we're recording now, just, um, you know, the push pull of collaboration. Cause as we are a band, we're all doing our own things. He's got the congregation and his solo rock stuff. And Chris has right. a lot of studio stuff he's doing. And he's always writing with people too. So they're growing as writers. Uh, aside from me, I'm growing as a writer or whatever we all do on our own. And then when you come together, your your superpowers have augmented a little bit, right? So Yeah, there's different flavors in the mix all of a sudden. That's right. And, you know, you being a, you know, a, a promoter, agent, manager, a label guy, all this kind of stuff. All those things require, um, you know, collaboration with people, and it's just a people business. And um, and we all go through seasons where we've we've learned so much from other people. And uh, I got to say that with those guys, it's just a it's just a renewing well of uh, of being taught something. And um, it's it's kind of it's one of those things that it's it's really good. And you're like, I hope this doesn't end. You know what I mean? Like you're like even if we don't have a number one single or something like that, you're just like, I hope that next year we're still playing together. I hope the next year we're still writing, you know, it's like, I'd hate for this to ever end. So I hope we're like the stones and we're kind of old guys and, and still rocking and rolling. Cause it's the heartbeat's still there. And I would imagine you guys have looked to the stones, looked to bands like Aerosmith to, to figure out how you're going to evolve this badass uh, persona, right? Because mm-hmm. the music, the music is um, it's sort of aligned with this, you know, being young, being a rebel, uh, all of the things that really work for you well in your 30s or your mm-hmm. 20s, right? Mm-hmm. But as you get into your 50s and 60s, pulling that off authentically is a bit more of a challenge, right? Yeah, um, I would say that a few a few artists would come to mind as to who we'd look to, like the, you know the Stones for sure. But that's that's a timeless rock and roll. It's three chord blues rock, and it 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 certainly has a um, some a uh, heartbeat in our music too, but I'd say artists like ZZ Top, you know, these guys weren't uh, in their fifties and sixties running around the stage. They were just real cool with those subtle moves and stuff. And that aged very well. Um, artists like Bob Seeger, I mean, his music and, and his performance and all that aged very well. Um, Neil Young, you know, as wild and crazy of a guy he was, his persona was, I guess his persona and music were the same, but it's not like he's running around like Mick Jagger. You know what I mean? Mick's like mm-hmm. 70, whatever, and he's running around the stage. Uh, Neil, Neil Young's a badass, but very much in his own way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, and so as we as we work through this new music, it's more of the message. It's uh, It doesn't have to be, you know, super in your face, you know, like a, you know, machine gun rock and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you're looking back at the original Hammer stuff, it wasn't like that either. It was just it was heavier than the stuff that was on radio at the time, different guitar tones using Gibson guitars instead of tellies, stuff like that. And, and now as we grow older and we are more mature musicians and uh, knowing how to record things differently, uh, it's the tones and uh, stuff like that, that I think have more gravitas to what you do, which is, which has to be commensurate with the age, you know, it has to make sense. And you've talked at certain points too, about maybe adding a new member to the band because you sort of have this this nucleus of the cast, but you've talked about potentially bringing in a feature vocalist for uh, 
an album project. And I think that's brilliant too, because it does give you the ability to pivot with some new material and go in a different direction. Yeah. We always saw that it'd be really great if we could find, like we had Kenny Greer playing steel with us and he played on lunatic fringes with uh, red rider one of the original right. members, uh, red rider. And so Kenny brought that rock and roll swagger to what we, what we do. And he like clay brings a rock and roll swagger, but Kenny brought a, elder statesman rock and roll swagger right so when we were going through some challenges we were still touring in canada here but we were in the states and we'd go in the states we'd be down there for weeks at a time and we'd come home and do a round of shows and kenny would be in our band and it was interesting and, and kenny may not know this but uh, we'd be lamenting oh we had this problem or this guy said this blah 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 and all this kind of stuff and kenny's like what do you care like do your thing or tell him to piss off or there was just more just more uh, chest puffing of, hey, you, you got to remember who you are and what you do. And and that confidence in a time where maybe we didn't have it. And um, and we wanted to find that, that they got off on a, on a diatribe there. But um, finding a female who could play steel or slide or something like that and then having that rock and roll female voice, kind of like Eric Church, you know, brings on the road as well. Uh, that right. would be really great to augment this band with i think that'd be a lot of fun yeah maybe do a record with uh you know sort of a uh, uh, like a lizzie hale type mm -hmm. uh vocalist or you know back in the day joan jett uh somebody who brings some real you know a feminine aspect to it but a lot of masculine and, and gravelly uh energy right in the delivery it could be really cool for you guys yeah it's it yeah yeah bonnie Bonnie Bramlett, who plays, you know, lap steel. That would be great, you know. Um, it's tall order. And, you know, we actually, uh, there's a girl named Christine Campbell in uh, on the East Coast, and she is brilliant. So if anybody gets a chance to check out Christine Campbell, and she did a couple of shows with us on the East Coast, and uh, she's just had little ones. So, I mean, maybe that's somebody that we could uh, hook up with or, you know, somebody like that. But it's it's got to happen organically, right? You can't engineer yeah. that kind of thing or it just doesn't work. But having a female voice in the band, not just offstage, but obviously on record, uh, would open up your content too. Like um, there's just more you could do. Let's talk a little bit about how you have successfully navigated uh, being a touring musician, musician for over 20 years and being a good dad. Like, how do you pull that off? Because that's a, that's a lot of eggs in one basket to keep together. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, if I could figure out how to do that, it'd be great. You should talk to my kids. Uh, it's You know what? It's been I've been very lucky because uh, um, I'm not a... I'm not a guy who gets lost in a studio for weeks on end. You know, when I'm doing a project, maybe a little bit of that, but I'm pretty good at putting it away and uh, just calling it a day. And, you know, it's time to go to Caleb's ball game or, or Grace's horseback riding lesson. And I'll go over and do that. And the, the hardest thing for me though, is like anyone is shutting the phone off. And if I can do that, I get the mental real estate that I need to be a present dad. Um, not touring this summer has really helped a lot. Um, it's helped maybe underscore what is the opposite of what you think. You know, maybe I haven't been there for as much as I think I have. Um, now I'm starting to, to see the, uh, the rewards and benefit of that day in, day out being there. And having the kids home every day is really nice too. Being in morning radio actually is great because you do have the bulk of your day as well. So right. although it's early, it is a great gig and it's a great time slot because, you know, when I get home just before lunch, Kids are, you know, up and about and they got their routine established and 
Kayla was building something outside and I'll go give him a hand or, you know, Grace wanted to redo her room. So we've been working on that. And um, we also had our kids later in life too, right? So my wife and I, we traveled literally the world together before we even started the hammers. Like I think about that. Um, right. Kind of got all the, all the minutia of starting your own business, which a lot of young people are doing. It takes 24 seven and we did it. And uh, I'm glad we did but it affords us a little more time now that uh, all my free time is being at home. Do you see, uh, do you see some of your creative genetics in your kids, you know, and in, in their oh. own way, obviously. <laughs> my daughter, she's, um, she's great at, uh, well, she does a lot of TikTok videos and all these kind of things. And she likes to create and make up, she can make up plays and all that kind of stuff on a dime, you know, and she's really got a, an artistic flair when it comes to decorating and all these sorts of things. So that's, she's got that artistic side, but she's also got a very analytical side too. And then Caleb, he's, he's like my dad on one plane where he, he's very, um, he's got the math brain, you know, he just sees math. He's brilliant at it. Um, but he plays piano too. We force him to practice at uh, gunpoint, but he's, uh, he's quite good. And he's natural and he writes the odd song. So Grace and him, Grace will come up with lyrics. You know, I'll see a sheet in her room of her coming up with poems and lyrics. And then Caleb, he'll work on a melody on the piano. And it's just like, where did that come? What song is that? He's like, oh, just something I made up. So it's certainly there, but I'm not, I mean, I got a studio in the house and they've never really used it. And I'm, always saying, Hey, if you guys ever want to do anything, you know, I've got all the stuff you need to create whatever you want to create. Uh, but I've never pushed it. And, and the time will come when it's supposed to, I guess. That's smart because uh, sometimes I think if you push it, it feels like a chore. And if you don't, it, then it's their idea. It's something they can take ownership of and they'll enjoy it just so much more, you know, well, you, and uh, you're the same thing though. You got, you're a great dad. You're always on, I always see stuff going on on Instagram. You're always doing stuff with the kids. So you're working out, but your kids are doing that too. And that's one of the most important things uh, that I've been taught is that if you're going to the bank, you bring your kids along, you know, um, they may not like it, you know, they all, all the time, but if you have to do a chore, you get your kids to come and help you. And that's how they learn. Um, and it creates a bond that, that, you know, a forced, Hey, let's go to the ball game. Um, those things are great too, but that's not, always bonding it's those little moments right and you know going to the beach together uh building a birdhouse whatever it is yeah one of my favorite things to do with them is uh i love working out with them obviously but uh and this might sound very strange to people but if i've got a uh, difficult or a confrontational phone call i have to make mm -hmm. uh, i like to have them in the room and i like to have the person on speaker so that they can they can really watch in real time de-escalation tactics, um, you know, how you sort of go into a call with an objective or something that you'd like to achieve and how yeah. you end up getting there without necessarily, you know, crushing the other person. And, and all of those, you know, definitely not a parenting expert. I'm not claiming that just for people out there. But when you expose your kids to those things as opposed to, taking them away from it or going, you know what, maybe this won't be good for them to hear. It's like, it's real life. And, uh, you know, whether they're encountering a schoolyard bully or maybe a teacher they're not getting along with, yeah. you know, just having, having some idea, some semblance of tactics and strategies to understand how to read people and yeah. then how to navigate and work around them. And, 
you know, it's, it's funny. We've learned to, in our house, frame people who are difficult as a real gift to us because they teach us how to deal with difficult people. Because guess what? The world's full of them. They're not going away. Yeah. So, uh, True. so that's always been fun and rewarding. And if you have a setback, uh, you know, if, if you show them how to bounce back from that or how to recover, or how to, you know, stick handle around a setback, that's something that will uh, be more valuable than any other lesson they can learn because we're all going to have those things. And I think that's one of the things that kids don't have the ability to do right now is, uh, or they don't have the, uh, uh, the muscle of resiliency. You know, there's a lot of that maybe not being taught, you know, we're in such a right. quick gratification society that, you know, that, that patience and that waiting and then the resiliency from getting knocked down back and back from all the no's you're going to get in life until you get the yes. Well, and we do have these movements, too, that are great for creating awareness, like, you know, the pink shirt day, the anti-bullying. Mm. I've talked about this before. It's like it's it's great to have awareness. But then what do you do with it once you're aware, you know, and 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 it's yeah. so important then to go, hey, listen, sometimes sometimes bullying doesn't show up in the form you think it is. Or sometimes you're actually the purveyor of bullying people because you're telling them what to do. And it's good to be aware of that, conscious of that. And then learn to uh, self-regulate on that front, right? Um, especially if you're like yeah. my oldest one who's, you know, she's boisterous and tough and gets her way a lot. But, you know, um, the last thing, she's also got a real tender heart. The last thing she would ever want to be considered as a bully, right? So just making her aware of considering other people's perspectives in the rooms and asking questions before she takes actions. Those are good things. And uh and, and so these movements are great for awareness, but they don't often dig into the strategies and tactics. We see that as well with mental health. It's like, Bell, let's talk. Okay, we'll talk about what? Because our, what? our, yeah, right. Our culture has become so, so disengaged from the process of working through conflict, right? You heard it when you were a kid. I heard it when I was a kid. Don't talk about politics or religion, right? Yeah. And it's like, Actually, maybe those are things you should talk about because you should learn to appreciate other perspectives and understand that people can hold competing narratives in their mind and work through them and figure out where they really stand on issues and, and that you can love somebody who's opposed to you on one particular issue because that issue doesn't define their entire character and shouldn't, right? Because maybe they're just working through it and they're going to end up on the opposite side of the fence along with you at some point. And so anyway, it's it's something I'm passionate about because I just think we, the music industry is a good example of that too. You know, we've got this great community. Everybody seems to support each other and love each other, but we have a lot of competition. So it's like, how do we work through our differences? How do we really end up on the same team and not just pretend to be when we're shaking hands at the CCMAs. Right. And, and how do we put, how do we put any uh, lingering animosity really behind us? And I think that's through, really honest, engaged conversation. Well, it, it's also through um, just, you know, pretend you're on a sports team. Um, you know, pretend the music industry is all one sports team. You know, it's a little different because, you know, every play you make could be beneficial to yourself personally. But actually, having been in this industry for, you know, and we've both been in this industry for the same length of time. But so many cycles come and go that every time I get squirrely about, ah, you know, that guy got that single or that guy got to write with so-and-so and I didn't. Then another door opens up and you're going to write with so-and-so. Like, it, it never ceases to amaze me. And my wife will always say, like, 
you know, I'll get down about something and, and something about competition or whatever. And, uh, and she'll say, yeah, you remember the time you worried about blah, blah, and blah, blah, blah. Do you remember it? Do you remember what happened then? Nothing. It was okay. You know? Um, and it's just, it's a small business, man. It's like, it, no matter how, where you go in the world, it's a small business. And, but it's also so important it, to be surrounded by people like your wife that's a great example who are willing to challenge your narrative on things because it's easy to go down that road of self-pity. I do it. We're all human. And to have somebody who's strong and secure enough around us to go, wait, 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 you're yes. off track on this. That's right. now, I'm not going down that road with you because I know that the, the, I know that's not the best road for you to go down. You Let know? me change and, your diaper and we'll talk about it in the morning. <laughs> yeah, totally. So she's been, uh, you know, and, and I know we haven't talked about her much on this call, but she's been a, a, a just a, a foundational um, aspect of of how you've maintained such a great family uh, dynamic while you've been a touring musician. And she's also been probably really uh, a powerful pillar of of mental health for you as well by helping you get oh, yeah. back on track and 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 working with you on perspective. Oh yeah. Well, we met when she, she was 15, I was 16. And, um, and we basically took off and hit the road when I was 19 or so or whatever. Uh, well, early twenties and we just started traveling together. She was always there with me. And, um, it's, you know, then she went back to become a nurse, uh, in her thirties, uh, early thirties, but, um, she's been a business partner to me. She, you know, still is very active in, yeah, do, dealing with the books and things like that. But um, she just gets, she just has like that 30,000 foot perspective, you know, that strata kind of overview that I lose a lot. Cause I, I get myopic. Like a lot of, a lot of people do when you're passionate about something, as you know, you're, you're chasing that thing. And it's that, you know, eye of the tiger, man. And uh, well, if you want to like, win, you got to be super focused. You have to be hyper focused. But the problem with that problem, is it, right? it then you, lose you end up losing forever. perspective. Yes. Yeah. So, and she, she, uh, she's a great sounding board and I, and she thinks I'm, sometimes she thinks I'm, um, I'm just pandering to her or, or not pandering, but, um, you know, placating her is to be involved. I'll be like, yeah, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? She'll be like, you know what to do. Like, why are you asking me just so I feel involved? I'm like, no, I need your input. I want your input. And, uh, that's never changed. Not in a, not, it's not as needy as it used to be, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's good counsel, you know, that's why we're married. That's the way, that's the way we're built. You know, the, the, the male and female perspective and the, and, and just being, and you know, she's not afraid to tell you when you're wrong. Yeah. And that's, that's really important because, and you know, I've never really, never really been surrounded by a lot of yes people per se, but I could imagine there's a lot of people in this industry maybe who are, and uh, that would be very disorienting, you know, be like being flying in the clouds all the time. You wouldn't really know where you're going or what, it's up and down. Uh, but she certainly writes the ship all the time and, and does it very quickly. And it's great. Well, we see that in high levels of this business, right? Where people are just paralyzed to challenge the artist out of the fear as a manager or an agent uh, that they might get fired. And uh, yeah. and so they'll just go along with everything, no matter how crazy it is. And then you've got, you know, a situation, Michael Jackson, good example, where you know, think about think about the life he could still have, the legacy he would still be contributing to if someone Crazy. had sat him down and went, hey, dummy, you're doing some dumb things here. Now, that, yeah. now you're not a bad person. You're intense. Here's good, your other but, glove. Yeah, glove. but but we have to sort through some things here because otherwise you're going to end up 
you know, you could end up exactly where he did. Right. And, yeah. and it, it's, it's heartbreaking when you see that happening at, at levels where somebody should be strong enough in that process to challenge respectfully out of the best right. intention for them. No, Elvis, I think putting shag carpet on the ceiling is a great idea. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, come on, are you serious? Who didn't come on red? You should have said something, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't care if you're in the music business or you own a welding shop or you're selling shoes. We all need uh, people around us to, to uh, build us up in a positive way and just, you know, reel us in when we're being jackasses. That's how it goes. Yeah. I don't know if you ever got a chance to read the biography of uh, Jerry Weintraub. You've ever heard of Jerry? No. Who's, so who's he Jerry? managed, uh, he, he was the promoter for Elvis Presley, uh, worked with Colonel Parker. Uh, okay. He also um, managed Frank Sinatra for a long time. Um, wow. He was the producer of the uh, the rebooted versions of Ocean's Eleven with Brad Pitt, Matt Damon. So, you know, very accomplished guy. He passed away a few years ago. But um, his book, uh, which was given to me, gifted to me by Tom McKillop, who's just a sweetheart of a man in his own right. But Tom sent me that book and, and it it gave me a lot of insight into uh, patterns of how artists think and how, you know, you've got to be on the creative vanguard with them, but that, that even the most creative, most brilliant people, their ideas, their good ideas are only going to be about 80, 20. So they might have 80% good ideas, but 20% are really bad. And, and what he talked about in that book is uh, the fact that most people are, are inverted to that. So it's like, 20% 20% good ideas, 80% are terrible. And uh, and he's like, you know, just learning to sort through ideas with the artist in order to prioritize and then initiate yeah. and execute on the ones that work the best. And I know you, and I know how creative you are, and your wheels are always turning. So that must be something you struggle with where it's like, I want to do 50 things. I know I only have the time to do five. Where do I start? I just go, I want to do everything. And then it's like, oh, crap, there's no time. Uh, it, it happens all the time. I mean, just uh, this summer has been great. I, have, I haven't had that many dates, and I've had lots of time to do stuff and concentrate on our radio, and we bought a boat. So we're just being good family and having fun. And then uh, by dates, you mean concerts and shows. I just want to make sure everybody knows that Jason McCoy does not have a Tinder profile. So it's, it's <laughs> concerts and shows he's referring to. That you know of. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that anybody knows of. No, but it's um, it's been nice that, you know, we haven't had these shows and we got time off and stuff. But over the last few weeks, I've been kind of saying yes to a bunch of stuff like, oh, yeah. And there's this project and so and so wants me to write with so and so and produce a thing and uh, doing this radio show and this other stuff. And now I got a bunch of acoustic shows. <laughs> it's like I was telling my wife, I looked down at my calendar for September. I was like, oh, crap. What? I'm busy. <laughs> you know, it's it's like it's happened again. So. I, I do need to stop the wheels turning and I do need to focus. And the, the biggest thing is uh, always thinking you're losing out on something by saying no, but it's back to that thing of just relax because other opportunities will open up down the road. And if it's not for you, it's okay. Cause there's right. a lot going on. And, and uh, if, you know, if it's truly meaningful, it might circle back around at some point, maybe even in a better yeah. form. That That's right. Why well, you don't have to, you don't have to chase things. You, sh- you should. And it's, it's interesting though because this industry teaches all its youngins to chase things because we have to fight and fight and push our way in, um, and then once you're in or once you're doing things, you want to stay there, you know. Um, but 
we just constantly push for more and more and more. Everybody does. But, um, and I guess that's part of being driven and, and whatever, but um, I'm starting to relax a little more and, and not just say yes to everything. Although September doesn't look like it. <laughs> now, one of your passions has been co-writing, but you've also produced other artists. You've mentored other artists. You've done some artist development. When are you going to finally hang a shingle and start a management company or a label or something in that space? Because <laughs> I feel like it's just been coming for so long for you and, and you know, no bullshit. You know, so many domains of this business from so many angles. I think it'd be great at it. Well, thank you very much. I, you know, what is interesting, like I've thought of that many times and I've been involved in starting different things like uh, extreme mud fest in Alberta. Uh, right. I, help get that going i'm not involved with that now but um that was neat to to see how that worked um i've been involved with uh running my own label you know with uh, uh what we do with the hammers it's it's uh, open road but you know it's all through airstrip our, our label um so i do have experience with those things what i don't have i don't think i would start that because i don't have passion for those things specifically if i had the right partner to help with the um, um, admin and maybe interfacing with the industry in a certain way that I either don't feel comfortable with, or I don't have the certain skill set for it. Um, well, that would be I, your role though. I mean, you're, you're, you're creatively brilliant. You don't need to be the person doing the paperwork. Well, that's the thing. I, that, and that's exactly right. I'm, and not just paperwork, but there is a, there is a, uh, you know, the guy who goes out to the showcases, to the, uh, events, to the, you know, the president's dinner at the CCMAs and things like that, um, which I, I do like to do. But there's there's the guys who who are really great at the I don't want to say networking because it sounds, you know, that sounds contrived. But the ones who are good at the hang, you know, I'm pretty much a uh, in and out guy and uh, I want to get back to the studio and create or I want to sit down in the hotel room and write not necessarily go and hang with the, the label heads who could, you know, further the project, you know, um, which is the kiss of death for somebody trying to, you know, launch projects. Right. Um, but you just have to, you have to recognize your strengths. And so I used to think I'm going to do all these things and there's been fits and starts of that, but it's been a big waste of time for not just myself, but those that I've engaged to pursue those projects that only go so far. And I didn't really sit down and take stock of, Hey, where's, where's my real passion lie? And I think, I don't want to say I would retreat back to songwriting because that's one of the things I hold most sacred. Like that's where it all starts. And the only issue I have with songwriting sometimes is that I songwrite with a marketing brain sometimes. And it's sometimes, and most of the time I don't, but sometimes it's like, okay, we're going to write this song and then we're going to get uh, Chevy involved and, and do a video and then we're going to give away all these blah, blah, blahs. And we're, you know, it just... It's like, dude, just write the song and let's record it. And then, and then we'll look at those things. But for me, sometimes it's like, it has to be all at once. Right. And it's, it's a little limiting when you're writing a song. And I, so where does know. your passion lie? Is it, is it really more in the creative and in that initiative, the initiative of, um, of writing songs? Is it being on stage? Like at this point in your career, where's the place that you feel the most at home? Um, there, there are a few, so it's not just one but I've, I've paired it back from everything, which is a big step for me. Um, it is definitely with the hammers because that's a, that's a baby that just has been a prod prodigal son. has just gone around the world and done its thing. And I want to keep that going because um, Clay, Chris and I, we owe a lot to the fans. We owe a lot to, uh, you know, our 
industry who's been supportive. We owe a lot to ourselves to do our best for that. So we want to keep that going. We all do. Um, I feel super at home on stage with the hammers, super at home. Um, and the other thing is uh, songwriting, uh, for sure. It's definitely a passion. Like I've, some of my most exciting times in music have been in creating something that's just maybe a goofy song that <laughs> I'll never see the light of day, but you're high-fiving your, your co-writer like you just, you know, wrote War and Peace or something like that, you know. Um, but the other place I really feel at home, really feel at home, and I got on a great run of this and I stopped, was I was doing a one-man show for a while where I had a screen behind me and we had some pre-taped interviews of, you know, artists like Terry Clark and Johnny Reed. And I was interviewing them. It seemed like it was a live feed, but it was all timed, you know, and I got to create that thing. And then that allowed me to go into small theaters, like whatever size they would have is three to 700. And I just interact with the audience acoustically. Now I'd love more than anything to put together uh, a small super group of four musicians, like, kind of semi-bluegrass, almost like what Marty Stewart's doing. Mm -hmm. um, Sturgill Simpson kind of thingy. But it's that thing back to that Terry McBride, that that interacting with the audience. And the reason being because I remember being a person in the audience in those types of shows and how those artists seem so, the ones who could really break that barrier between the artists and the stage and just really put on a show with just a broom handle or what, like I got to that point when I was doing those things where I, I didn't have to play any music. I could just talk and be goofy and do a bit of stand up, almost that kind of thing. Um, but then I refocused to the hammers and things changed and I just kind of let go of that, that ball. I'd like to pursue that more because now with the way shows are happening, smaller venues, I'm just booked in to do a couple of these acoustic shows. Um, that's kind of my, that's kind of my thing. I really. And that's the type of show that you could almost plant and build a residency around, you know, where, where yeah. you're putting it in a, in a theater and people are coming yeah. to you, especially right now with uh, uh, COVID maxing out the amount of patrons at a hundred people. It's like yeah. do a deal with the theater, plant it for two weeks, yep. get the production and the lighting just, just nailed and uh, you know, and create something whereby people actually, it's a destination. They come in for it. You know, a promoter or agent? Like if you knew a I guy. I don't. I don't know any guys. Why do all the promoters <laughs> and agents say that? No, that that's exactly. That's that, the right that, type of idea. But that feels more at home to me than uh, all of the other things. But it doesn't mean that I don't want to pursue all the other things. There's still passions too. So yeah. um, as much as I love getting out with, you know, Big Marshall and being a loud goofball with the hammers, I, I just love playing acoustic music, you know, with uh, with three or four awesome musicians and uh it's well western swing authority there you go right there um, yes that, that kind of thing you know just with um great musicians back to that thing of the merle haggard you know artistry and the buck guys like that super power that super group of four people um right it doesn't take much to to do a big thing but if you grab the theater that's within the the listening radius of of you know where you're doing your morning show you could literally you could literally promote this thing yourself. Like, you know, you could be, yeah. I mean, obviously you've got to work things out with the radio station. So there's no conflicts. I'm not, I'm sure. not discounting and diminishing the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. work and the process of it, but you could literally just own this thing, uh, run it in a theater, 
leave it in there for multiple dates, really refine the show down to a science. And that'd probably be a blast for you. And, and not that I'm telling you you should do it, but good thing to focus on right now to get your creative ju juices flowing again yeah. and get that reconnection with people because I know how much you love that. Yeah, I really do. Like, and for a lot of years I fought it. It was like, you know, ah, I, don't, ah, I don't know if I want to go out and I just want to stay home and, rah, rah, and all this stuff. And it's like, ah, man, you just admit it. You love, you love being a, a ham, you know, you got it. It's what I do. And uh, it doesn't matter what situation I'm in. Like you say, if you're hosting the CMAOs or CCMA lunch or, uh, or doing the morning show or playing a show with the hammer, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's right. What I do. And, uh, yeah, and, and I think like if you're play, an entertainer and, and I'm the goofball, you need, but you need to have a little bit of that. You have to, uh, even if you don't love people, you've got to love attention to a degree. Otherwise oh. it just won't work. No, it's what it, we're all here. Cause we're not all here. Right. So, um, but it's good. I, I, uh, I always think that, you know, watching my kids, you know, be creative when they're not, you know, my son just sitting at a piano and he's never been on stage like to you know perform for anybody he has no desire to so there's that purest form of you know enjoying music for what it is mine's always been like hey if i learn this i get to do this and that's right. always the way it's been with theaters for me it's like okay if we play a couple of songs i get to tell jokes so let's go you know i'll learn your silly song so i get to play you need me to write a song i'll write a song and then i get to go play for the people that's that's kind of how it is for me yeah, you love the applause uh, or the laughs as much as you love the applause. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's hard to draw the line of what's better, the music or the or the you know talking with the audience. So and both equally is uh, attractive to me. Jason, I love it. We've uh, we've been doing this for over an hour now. Thank you oh, so really? much for the time. Yeah, it just flew by. Right so, on. So um, and, uh, this is great what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it, and that's that's the goal. Is just just have on guests that I have a relationship with or that I know and just uh, allow people to be a fly on the wall and absorb the conversation and get out of it, whatever they do. And, um, and, and, you know, make it, uh, you know, just straight up and candid. So I'm having a blast cool. with it and I'm thrilled you were on and I'd love to have you on again if you wanted to do it. Oh man, it'd be great. Well, we'll get some uh, new music rock and we'll get on and talk about that. And you should have your own radio show, man. Talk about radio. Holy smokes. Well, I do have a radio background. I worked in radio for years, but um, but you, I, I, I didn't know. No, you you boxed, you promoted, you agent, you all this stuff. I didn't know you. Did. Yeah, I've always had a lot of uh, things to chase as well, but um, but I really felt like in this time of COVID, you know, it's a it's a good idea to get the community together to have some yeah. conversations, talk about how people are feeling, remind people that even though we're all isolated, we're not necessarily alone in what we're feeling and thinking in this community. And, uh, and so that's been fun for me. And I, I like, you know, listen, I like attention too. I don't have the, the, um, the skill set that you do, but I, I enjoy, I enjoy when people get a chance to listen to one of these podcasts and they give me their yeah. feedback and it's, it's usually positive. Thanks mostly to the guests because the, the conversations are just so honest that be, by virtue of that, they're very compelling. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's good. I mean, the thing is, you know, everybody from all over the world and in all facets of the industry. So you're you're not without anything to talk about ever, and uh, and you have unique insight to it because you've been in uh, you've been in everything from like I say, promoting to being an agent to being a label guy to be whatever you know manager. So it's uh, it's interesting to get your your questions too because 
there's not too many people in that unique specific you know role or roles i should say uh honor to have you on my friend and uh thanks for being part of it and we'll definitely have you on again get you out awesome. there promoting a new project and uh thanks for taking the time again today i appreciate Great. you thanks jim appreciate it take care